Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Usually, end of May is big in the sports business season, NHL, NBA, conference semifinals. You've got the second leg of the Triple Crown. You've got baseball heating up. All of that's happening, but bigger issues almost happen in the boardroom, off the field, off the court, and to analyze that stuff with us is digital editor extraordinaire Amy Tenery with Reuters. How are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you? I'm wonderful. Well, we picked a recording day where breaking, breaking, breaking news happens. First of all, the Carolina Panthers sold to a group led by hedge fund owner and Steeler minority owner uh, Tepper and his group. And it's a big number. But what's your takeaway? Yeah, you know, I, I was sort of reading up on this, and like you mentioned, he's been minority owner of the Steelers for close to a decade. He sounds like he's uh, committed to keeping the Panthers where they are. It sounds like the message that he's sending is sort of status quo, staying the course. Um, if you're a Panthers fan, uh, are, are you happy with this? Well, you know, the guy can't roll out and throw a long pass, and he does hopefully cut down in interceptions, and that's the bottom line. Stability means... Enlightened management means good draft picks, and, and I would be worried if I'm a Panther fan about whether um, my team moves from Bank of America Stadium or, or whether uh, the deal is uh, affecting my team, and the answer is no and no. The guy's a member of the fraternity called the NFL, and let's just remember that the average franchise value, uh, the latest number, is about $2.5 billion, and it's up about 8 to 10% a year. That's about the purchase price, maybe even more. A lot of it's trophy Panthers have been in the middle. They've been ranked 21st out of 30. But here's the thing. The NFL is basically socialistic, but it's all good. The $3.2 billion in league-wide income is $500 million more than the combined earnings of teams in the NBA, NHL, and MLB. That's pretty stout. So what he's buying into is a partnership with 31 other world-class moneymakers, and he doesn't want to screw it up. Yeah, and the deal itself, I, I heard it was rumored to be about like two point two billion, two point three billion. I had read elsewhere that you know Richardson was hoping for about three billion. Um, this is a record-breaking figure, am I right? Yeah, I, I can hope the next meteor that falls doesn't hit me and you know goes to New York. <laughs> but you know, you never, you, you just what you hope for it doesn't automatically happen. Um, but right. he he, you know, uh, the the uh, Donald Sterling and his group to uh, hope for two billion dollars for the Clippers and got it. The point is that whatever the published sale will be, it'll be higher than anything else that's happened. When Steve Ross bought the Dolphins for a billion dollars in cash, everybody said he was uh, a a real idiot because no franchise is going to be worth that. Then now most of the NFL franchises, if not all, are worth closer to two billion. So it is the appreciation piece. And oh, by the way, while you're waiting for appreciation, you make a whole lot of money, whether you're in Charlotte or New York or anywhere in between. Right, absolutely. And speaking of money, we have even more breaking news this week. That is a great segue. You have become a <laughs> master at this. It's easy with money. I learned this year. from the best. The U.S. Supreme Court <laughs> decided to rule the federal ban on states allowing gambling uh, unconstitutional. 
And so it was a deal that started with Chris Christie, then with Governor Murphy. And at the end of the day, it's $240 billion U.S. casino industry, 1.7 million jobs in 40 states, says the American Gaming Association. And so that, of course, is good news as well for them. But again, what's your take? Well, I, I noticed a lot of uh, hand wringing among some of the um, the major the four major leagues about whether or not this was going to undermine the integrity of the games. But I think it's a huge win for owners. Um, you know, Mark Cuban told CNBC he thinks that this ruling could double the value of his team. And I know he talks a big game, but I think he might be onto something. I, I know the Wizards and Caps owner was also thrilled. So, I mean, do you, do you agree that this is like a, a you know, kind of a win financially for individual teams. Well, here's an ir- irony to segue both of what we're talking about together. Uh, if I'm if I'm the uh, uh, Jerry Richardson group, I-, I know the deal's been done and announced. We we may say to Tepper, not so fast. We we may want to renegotiate the purchase price here in Charlotte, but uh, it, that ain't happening. And the bottom line is, we we've got to figure out how to resolve some of the issues first before everybody goes to rush to their bank and starts to deposit. First is that. Uh, everybody's talking about an integrity fee, and and that is a kind of a, a just another way of saying we want the state to take a piece off the top. Uh, Minnesota had already had some legislation proposed that included twenty four million dollars in revenue from particular casinos. Rhode Island is third biggest revenue source. Illinois, they were talking about multiple uh, casinos, so they're already counting their money. The states, and then the other piece of this is. What about the leagues? As you said, now they want a 1% fee, all of the leagues, because they're claiming, and probably rightfully so, that the data that the gamblers and the industry will use to bet is all league generated. It's league stuff, and they want a fee to get uh, uh, it in the public domain and done. So how both of those negotiations proceed and which states get out ahead of other states. That is the wild scramble right now. It's good to be a developer, a casino operator, and most important from my perspective, a lawyer right now. Yeah, I absolutely. I think it's, you know, it's another case of just legalizing and taxing something that people were doing already. And uh, you make a good point about, you know, the data that the leagues are providing. Uh, I think integrity fee, you know, to an average person sounds a little silly, but when you break it down on what it's actually funding, that makes a lot of sense. So I think, um, I, I think any doubters in the leagues are going to come around. And, and like you said, it's just an absolutely enormous money maker for states. So I, I think it's going to be a win all around. Well, remember, the American Gaming Association, as we said, owns up to $150 billion. Uh, and if you accept the fact that the uh, illegal betting is much more prevalent than the legal betting. And if you don't think so, you know, how many of us uh, uh, didn't do uh, NCAA pools? Uh, almost none. <laughs> and that counts. So how do you deal with that? Now that we know the Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act of 1992 is history, let's see how far the betting will go in each of the states. Clearly, one of the top issues as we move into kind of the summer, we have an interesting a person that we are interviewing uh, today. It's a, lot, a lot of different perspectives because all of this depends on putting on events and generating substantial sponsorships. Uh, Andy Bush is the senior vice president of Global uh, Octagon of Events for Octagon. It's a global company, as we know, and he's managed uh, rights and partnerships 
uh, all over the world as far as events and sponsorships are concluded, uh, included, including the uh, uh, LPGA Women in Tech Championship presented by Guggenheim that uh, I've been involved in, and the Walmart event and the, the CME event, Chubb Classic, LPGA Classic uh, uh, with Meyer. Uh, the, the point is, uh, Andy has some very interesting perspectives, not only indirectly on, on gambling and franchise values and events, but where the sports industry is going. Andy Bush. We're here at the Volunteer of America LPGA Texas Classic that is so important to the community and the golf industry important. We're on the heels of a report that talked about an $85 billion economic impact from the golf industry. I think that's understated. And somebody who is directly involved in causing a lot of that impact, the EVP of intergalactic events for Octagon Worldwide Global Events, Andy Bush. How are you? Very well, Rick. Glad to have you here. Thank you. You like the idea of running this planet and others as well? Yeah, it's, it's, I'd like a solar system. I will tell you what, if there are golf events on Mars, he will be the first one to run them. I guarantee you that. So seven professional golf tournaments, probably more, the CME, the Chubb Classic, uh, SAS, others, obviously the LPGA event, the Women in Tech Championship in Indy, which is something that started last year, and now the Volunteer of America Classic, uh, the te Texas LPGA Texas Classic. Um, what is the story of this particular event and how you came to be involved in this one? It, um, this event had been around for a few years in Dallas, a different part of Dallas. Um, we took a look at it. They were trying to find their feet in this market. It's a big market with a lot going on. Uh, we got to know Mike King and Volunteers of America, an unbelievable organization. So in the fall, part of it was moving the, we needed a new look. We needed a, a new kind of, a new logo, a new lease. We needed to find a new partner. So I looked at probably 15 golf courses uh, in and around the region. And my, I was about ready to cut a deal on my way out of town. And through a friend of a friend in Oklahoma, I was told about Old American. Uh, I met their general manager, Mike McCabe. And uh, after about 30 minutes, his enthusiasm, his passion for his property, the way he talked about his ownership group in Matthew Southwest, it was, uh, it was a very easy sign that this was a long-term partner to actually build something with. The golf course itself is kind of non-traditional for Texas. Uh, it's spectacular on the lake, the views, very linksy style. Um, it, it just felt like a home very quickly. So uh, it was a very easy decision uh, to kind of move here. Easy decision to move here, but maybe not so easy to set up an event uh, with all of the things that happen, you've set up millions of events or a lot of them in your life. Give us a snapshot of a typical kind of frenzied last week. What has to happen between, let's say, the uh, Monday or Tuesday before and the first time the Pro-Am happens? I, I think the big thing for me is, is you've got to have great partners. Uh, it's not something we can do alone. The city of Colony was beyond spectacular in all of their civil services and stepping up to help us. The tribute community we had a lot of these homeowners out helping hang signs, mesh, uh, ropes, stakes, every part of the process and getting their hands dirty to make sure their week was a success. And then the team from Matthew Southwest, we've, we've changed the whole landscape here in the last three months. We've laid roads, we've built, uh, taken down berms, moved earth, uh, pretty much everything to have the infrastructure to even build what we built. So long term, we have now we're set up to build this to be one of the biggest events on tour versus just getting by. So this first year was about perfect execution, introducing the, the tour to the golf course and our community here in the colony. And next year is really how we start to go big. 
long-term snapshot generic, not necessarily this event, but every other event you do, how do you measure success, not only for the fans, but for the athletes and for the sponsors? Biggest thing for us first is community impact. I mean, you have to... You have to have, feel like you have a home. You have to feel like you're, you're wanted and welcome. I mean, our staff move here. They live in the community. Um, I think that's our first measurement. Um, the players, especially on this tour, are going to always deliver, and we don't control how they deliver that. Uh, so we really need to create an environment where people see long-term benefit to their community. They see the economic impact. We continue to develop programs to engage more than just golf fans. So be very, very inclusive to all economic levels, to be very inclusive to everyone in our community and make sure they want to be here that week. When you look at your mandate, which is in a lot of your materials, it's, quote, committed to creating opportunities for brands to engage with fans and drive results. So that's just not empty. I've seen you do that all over the country. Explain it. Well, it, it, it depends on your partners, right? I mean, we're lucky uh, with our seven events on this tour, their primary mission isn't about what they can sell. They, it's, a, it's a much more passive way in building an event to create an experience. And they know if they do those things really well, it'll either change their community and their company will benefit, whether it's their talent or their product. So um, that approach first for us has really worked in creating our events that are continue to be not three years, 10 and 20 year more legacy programs. And when you look at the studies, they're talking about four to six billion dollars raised philanthropically over a certain period of time for the golf industry. I also think that's understated. But how important is the philanthropic aspect and how important is using sports and golf to raise money for philanthropy? Volunteers America here, Group 1001 and the uh, Guggenheim for Women in Tech and on and on. It, it, it's interesting. Our events bring people together. I mean, that's the nature of sports, right? So when people are together and they're in that environment, you can actually create things. You put a lot of good, smart people together and they rally around a passion. One of your guests, uh, Ann Stanford, just had her event on Monday. Everything that Mike and his team have done and a relationship that he's even started with Matthew Southwest just from this tournament finding a golf course. And the greater good of that. So I don't want to belittle the golf course aspect of but Mike and the VOA team and the Matthew Southwest team will do a hell of a lot more good over time together than we will. Look at your massive octagon crystal ball, a global leader in events and industry and trends. What's the golf business look like five years from now? You know, we're still bullish. We're bullish on this tour. Um, I would have said three years ago, three or four of these would be great. Uh, we're now at seven. I'd like to have ten uh, based on the right situations and markets. So um, we feel the ladies' game still is not getting its due, and we need to we need to help them in that and leverage every asset we have in our partners, uh, some of the largest companies in the world. So. And, not, and not an octagon infomercial, clearly, but the synergies related to the kinds of things that you all can do as a full-service organization, the globalization, the media outreach, aligning sponsors, there's a lot to do. Well, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot to put together, but I think you look at every company is trying to touch consumers and fans in more ways, and we need to do that in sports and cross-promote our sports. And how do we do what the NBA is doing really, really well and kind of ahead of the rest of the crew, what they're looking at in augmented reality and VR to adapting that to women's game and, and so on and so forth and, and cross-promote those with music, culinary, lifestyle events. So when you come to your week, right. it is a week that fulfills everyone's ambition or need. 
And the one thing that I'm very clear about is when we do colonize Mars and put the golf tournaments on, this will be the first person we hire. So Andy Bush deals with a, a worldwide octagon, marketing, events, content, creative, digital, insight, strategy groups. They've got it all. He's got it all. So, Amy, what's your what's your takeaway from the interview? Well, you know, something that sort of stuck out to me was how essential, you know, integrating brands uh, with with the fans, with the people who come at, uh, attend these events is for um, for Octagon. It's almost like it's written into their mission statement of every event they do. And I was kind of struck that, you know, it that much level of preparation is put into making sure that it's organic, this interaction with the fans. Um, you know, is that something that you think is going to be a bigger priority for these kinds of organizations going forward if they want to get the kind of funding and have that sort of um, organic, natural interaction with fans between the brands? Here's a link back to the earlier part of our interview. Now that gambling is going to be very important all over the country, whether you are doing it at the game or whether you're doing it from your couch, the idea of making an experience very unique for fans is even more important than it was at the end of last week. And so if you have a company or a mission statement or a goal to make every event, whether it's a team sport, an individual sport, or anything, the best you can be, that becomes even more important. Uh, the NFL calls it decouching. you got to get people off the couch and go to the stadiums. Now you got another distraction, and Omnicon, uh, Octagon and others – try to figure out the right formula, which is a great experience for fans. Teams can't always win, but fans can always have a good time. Yeah, certainly. And it seems like it's focusing on catering to sponsors um, a little bit more. And, and I think that these brands are going to start demanding a more curated experience um, and, and demanding a little bit more for their money. Um, one other thing I wanted to uh, to ask you, you know, during your interview, you, you asked Andy, where do you see the business of golf in five years? And he talked a little bit about building up the game for or excuse me, building up the sport for women. Uh, and I'm kind of interested to see what you think uh, is, is going to happen to the business of golf in the next five years. Well, you know, when you think about it, it's turned the corner. Uh, in 08, like everything else in the economy, golf courses closed. Uh, now we have a turnaround. Equipment manufacturers are surviving better. Events are becoming more prolifically sponsored. Tiger has impact, but not dispositive impact on the tour. And companies like Octagon and others are figuring out worldwide how to put on events that are sustainable. And so my take overall is that the golf business is surviving and thriving, which is a very interesting, as usual, Amy Tenery segue. Next week, we focus on Indy 500. But after that, we're into the golf major season. So we'll be hearing a lot more about this in the coming months. Ricaro, speak with you soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Our producer, Alex Cohen, associate producer, Freddie Joyner, assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Jesse Leeds, and Jamie Swimmer, and the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.